0: to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P dot com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast. This week, it's just me and a guest. Leo and Huggy couldn't make it. Our guest this week is Keita Bussey. As you can imagine, we're going to be talking movement and everything that has to do with movement, as well as a few other things. So without any further ado, let me bring her in. Hello, Keita.
1: Hey. What's up, guys?
0: I didn't murder your name, did I?
1: No, it's Keita Bussy.
0: All right. I had it right. All right, so go ahead and take a moment, if you would, and introduce yourself.
1: So I am a movement coach. I own 180 firearms training. I travel all over over the world. Well, aside from COVID times, (laughs) I do travel all over the world. And I teach a lot of the top shooters in the world, Um, you know, the national teams and in different countries who compete in IPSC and within the U.S., USPSA and IPSC if they're traveling to these matches. Um, I also have an IDPA specific movement class.
0: Really? Yes. Okay. I did not know that, so I will have to let me hold on a second. Add a little note to my question, so I don't forget to bring that up. Very interesting. So Keita, how we normally? I don't know if you've ever heard any of our episodes But we have at the very beginning. We have some questions we ask to get to know our guest.
1: All right, let's have a little
0: little bit more on the personal side. They can be rather humorous at times. So, all right. um, Number one, your favorite movie.
1: Oh boy, that's a tough one.
0: (laughs) You're not the first one to say that.
1: (laughs) I I honestly have to say I don't know. Okay, I I like a lot of sci-fi type movies. That's kind of my my niche.
0: So, like Star Wars ish, or
1: Um, well, I really liked. uh, I'm gonna butcher the name of it. The one where Matt Damon goes to Mars and basically has to grow plants out of his own poop.
0: Yeah, and I don't remember the name of that either. Leo, Leo will be screaming at us through the (laughs) something. Okay. But How about nerdy your favorite
1: guy? Yeah.
0: Okay. How about your favorite book?
1: That would also be kind of nerdy sci-fi fantasy, that sort of thing. Um, I would have to say the magician's apprentice by Raymond uh, Feist.
0: Okay. What's that about?
1: It's about a young boy who discovers he's actually a magician. There's some um, travel to other planets. Um, it's it's a little out there, but okay. it's just so well written. It's really hard to find books nowadays that use more different words that you haven't heard before. It's really unusual. I feel like the writing now is really dumbed down, and it's just so eloquently written. I enjoy reading it.
0: All right, interesting. So it's a different writing style that you like. Yeah. Okay. As well as the topic, obviously. All right. So I may already know the answer to this question based on what you're wearing, but one of the co-hosts, Huggy Bear, his favorite question to ask people is what is your favorite superhero?
1: Uh, It's actually Wonder Woman and it has been. Uh, Oh, I like it. Before I could even talk.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Before she got big again
0: she did yeah she's quite popular and those are good movies too so <laughs> all right your favorite gun and caliber
1: the cz shadow two nine millimeter i have the shadow two orange
0: now how long have you been using that
1: well it's been about a year now i believe
0: what is it about that gun that you like
1: it works <laughs> <laughs> Before this, I had the Tamfoglio Stock 2, which is a great gun when it runs. Mm. It's more high maintenance to keep it working properly. They don't really Uh, run out of the box, but once you get them running, they're great until they stop running again. But the CZ just works right out of the box. It keeps working. It's less maintenance. And I really like um, having the heavier gun. So, I actually added the brass grip plates. Okay. Weight.
0: All right. It seems like everybody seems to be adding, uh, like, I even added a brass back strap to my canic. So, everybody seems to be adding some weight around that grip. All right. So, the last question, which I try to make more specific to the guest. So, this one for you is I see you're originally from Alaska. Yes. And it seems like where you grew up, you were fairly close to Anchorage.
1: I was in on the Kenai Peninsula, Soldotna.
0: And how far southwest is that from Anchorage?
1: Actually, I couldn't tell you anymore. I actually left when I was pretty young. Okay. I have gone back to visit and teach a class, but I really can't tell you how far things are apart from each other. They're just, everything's really far apart.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a huge state. Oh, so where did you grow up in then?
1: Uh, after Soldatna, we moved to Washington State. So I I moved around a lot. I mean, I'm not going to give you the whole list.
0: Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. Okay.
1: I live All in right. Wisconsin now. This is where I ended up. <laughs>
0: That's where you're grounded. Yes. So you you haven't really moved to warmer uh, climate. You've just gone from Alaska to Wisconsin.
1: Well, I did live in California for a while.
0: Okay. My dad
1: is actually from Southern California.
0: That is definitely warmer than Alaska and Wisconsin.
1: Yes. Well, my family's here. My kids are in school. I didn't want to pull them out of school. You know, with me having to grow up moving around a lot, I know how special it is to grow up with all the same kids and then have these adult friends that you grew up with. And I wanted that for my kids. So once I had kids, I just stayed put.
0: Yeah, I I grew up. My dad was in the military, so we moved around a lot. So I I I totally get it.
1: It can be good for you. But I wanted to have them to have something I never had. It does make yeah. you more resilient, though, I think, and more adaptable to different situations moving around a lot.
0: Yeah, but I agree with you. It's It, it would have been probably more fun had I just stayed in one place,
1: but right. it is what it
0: is. All right. So, something interesting. I mean, obviously, you are um, on your website, 180firearmstraining.com. You're a, a movement coach, you have a book. We'll get into all of that. But the interesting thing I found on your website was you said you had never touched a gun until you joined the army. Yes. But you now, so you qualified expert. Is that what you said? Is that yep. what I remember? Okay.
1: The first time I ever touched a gun it was a M16.
0: And, and nothing else ever before that?
1: Nope.
0: Okay. Wow. They
1: just said, hold it like this and shoot those things. And I was like, okay. And I did it. And
0: (laughs) And it worked. everybody's
1: staring at me and I'm like, did I do something wrong?
0: We've had one other guest that, um, never touched a gun until he joined the military. And that was Matthew Nash. Same thing. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we had him on and we, we chatted. His, his was a two-hour episode, so I split it into two. Um, and it was very interesting. Same way. He had not touched a gun until he joined the Marine Corps.
1: He's so come quite a long way then. <laughs>
0: he, he has. He's doing quite well. So good for him. So what, what is it that you did in the Army?
1: I was a mechanic.
0: What kind? On what?
1: I was a 63 Bravo light wheel vehicle mechanic.
0: Okay. So like Humvee style.
1: style. Right. Okay. Five tons and lower. But okay. we did end up kind of working on everything.
0: And I just asked because they have, you know, mechanized vehicles, they have helicopters. So that's why I was asking what in particular. Um, so how long did you, how long were you in the army? Five years. So one enlistment and got out? Yep. Okay. And? I
1: had kids. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, A-Kid. A-Kid?
1: Okay. (laughs) A-Kid.
0: Is that the one we've heard about recently? No. Okay.
1: Most people don't know. I have an older son. He's 18. He doesn't live with me anymore. He's moved out. But most people don't know that because he hates having his picture taken, being talked about. He's like, don't tell anybody about me. So, I just kind of, (laughs) okay.
0: Very antisocial on the social media thing.
1: Right. Not into the whole social media thing, which I totally get.
0: Yeah. Not a bad thing at all. I can't say that I blame them one bit. I'm rarely on Facebook. I got on there just to check out your 180 firearms training stuff and things like that. So you were in for five years. You got out. Um Is that the point where you went to the University of Wisconsin?
1: Uh, it was a little bit after that, but yeah, I mean, I spent a little time raising my son. Um, just being a stay at home mom when he was a baby. Um, but I, I think he was about two or so when I finally went to college to be a nurse.
0: Did you become a nurse? I did. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I don't, you're the first nurse I, I'm a paramedic. I've been one for almost 22 years. You're the first nurse I know that teaches movement. So, well, not not your normal nurse. Every
1: nurse teaches movement. If you think but about not your movement, type of movement. No, but <laughs> the body mechanics, right? If you think about how you, teach someone who's sick or injured how to get into and out of bed by pivoting. I teach the same thing when I'm teaching people how to get out of a start position where you have to be laying on a bed. Okay. So there's a lot of carryover plus nursing taught me how to research, look at peer reviewed articles, um, sort of ex- extrapolate what might work in a different situation based on the research you've done and then test it and come up with solutions. If I hadn't been a nurse, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing.
0: So really that, that got you where you are today, even though you're not in the nursing field. Right. (laughs) Makes perfect sense actually. Um, which also explains some of your posts recently, you know, with the issues that have been going on in your personal life. Um, the science isn't always the science. Right. All right. So that it, that's where I was wondering what you studied in college to get you, because you said you had a science background to get you where you are. Now that we know that. Um, how did you make, did you ever work as a nurse?
1: Yes. I worked in the hospital for five years. I worked in a lot of different departments. I've helped people learn how to move again after surgeries, um, taking care of people after surgeries. Um, I've worked with geriatric patients. So that kind of helps me when I do have some, we call them senior shooters in the sport, helping (laughs) them move their bodies the way they are meant to move instead of having to fight their bodies.
0: Right. How to work with it versus fight it.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, if I hadn't done geriatrics, I wouldn't know that. So it all too, has come full circle.
0: Too bad Huggy had to work today. Uh, he could use some geriatric advice. <laughs> so. <laughs> he played football in in Europe, so <clears throat> his his body could uh, could use a little a little help. It um, takes
1: a toll over time.
0: Yeah, it does. So you've written, um, you've written a book titled "Smart Move: The Economy of Motion for the Shooting Sports." Actually, I have one right here. Okay. That's
1: what How I
0: was- long? I see it's like three hundred pages. How long did it take you to write that book?
1: Um. Well, it was. Years of research, but when I actually sat down to write it, it was just kind of a brain dump. It all just kind of like fell out of my fingers on the keyboard, like I didn't even have to try.
0: Would did it was you all find just it
1: stuck in here and needed an outlet?
0: Did you find it easy to organize the layout that you wanted? No, that's okay. where I
1: really struggled. I had some some tearful nights where <laughs> I moved one thing and then everything else in the whole book moved. <laughs> And then oh I did goodness! Everything else in the whole book. Oh wow! So it was frustrating trying to learn that and do it on my own without help. So I'm hoping it goes a little better this time because I'm writing another book.
0: And that was that's going to be a follow up question. Now you that those were the two parts to my question. One is how long did it take to write the book and. How many years of experience and research went into everything that's in that book?
1: Uh, it was several years. Let's see. This was published, I don't know, three years ago or so. So maybe seven years of research.
0: Okay. Now, what point did you go, I think I have, or... At what point did you make the decision you were going to write a book? Did it just come to you or was it like a book would be good and then you finally built up over time and you're like, oh, now's the right time. I've got the right amount of information.
1: Well, I think I was about five years old when I told my parents I'm going to write a book one day. The first book I wrote was actually a children's book that I wrote with my daughter called Precious Pink. So this is the second book that I published. And it was just, I was actually really sick after going to shoot in the Philippines. Every time I go to Asia, I just come back really, really sick. So I was stuck in my room, couldn't go anywhere or do anything and bored out of my mind. So I just started writing. It wasn't really even planned.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: By the time yeah. I was better, the book was pretty much written. It just took me two years to do the layout, which makes me feel okay. really dumb to say.
0: No, I get it. That um, that can be a little persnickety when you're trying to lay stuff out. So I get it. Especially with no training on that. I don't think right. they, there's no nursing class on laying out books. No. <laughs> so what... Can you or do you talk about what the next book is going to be?
1: Yes. So, this book is specifically movement, other than the contributions by other shooters. So, (coughs) excuse me, there are top shooters from all over the world who wrote little mini sections, contributions to put into the book on fundamentals and things like that, that I don't really cover. In my book, I'm covering the footwork and things like that, how to plan a stage for flow of movement, um, which steps to use in which places to be more efficient, that sort of thing. Now, the next book is called Train Smart. It's basically how to train yourself, self-coaching, and it talks about um, setting your goals, coming up with a plan how to rotate through your skills, different learning styles, um, different training styles. Things like decision training, um, spacing and interleaving to learn a skill in half the time. All of these scientifically proven ways to self-coach and learn faster.
0: So it's not just movement. This is actually a training how to train yourself book. A how-to book, a DIY
1: So if you have the first book on movement, the drills in that book will be applied in the second book. So as you're rotating through different drills, then you can plug in these movement drills, but you also have to plug in fundamentals and um, other kinds of skills.
0: Okay. Now, if they have that book, is it applicable to other trades or crafts? Like, could it you is. take the same concept and apply it to nursing or paramedicine or, or something else?
1: Um, some of the concepts, yes. But I do specifically talk about hit factor and finding your 100 and shoot like you and things like that that aren't really going to apply. Shoot like you may apply and dialing it back versus amping it up.
0: So it yeah. could then to other sports for sure.
1: It could, yes. But okay. it's more individual. I talk about self-coaching quite a bit. So for a team sport, there are some things in there that would be helpful. But most of it is for individual sports.
0: Okay. Golf, tennis. Right. All the in- okay. That makes sense. Other now, shooting sports. Very interesting. Now, how long do you think it'll be till that book reaches publication?
1: It'll be next year. We'll see how I might get help this time doing the layout to get it out.
0: sooner. Okay.
1: So I did also just write a workbook. I call it a training log that will accompany this book. The workbook is already published. It hasn't gone live yet, but once I get my copy back to review and see if any changes need to be made, it'll be going live. And that will accom- that accompanies my TrainSmart class and will also accompany the TrainSmart book. It isn't meant to be used by itself, otherwise you're gonna flip through it and just not know what to do. Okay. So the formulas that it walks you through, first you have to take the class or read the book to know how to utilize those formulas.
0: So your first book is a standalone book. You don't necessarily need to attend one of your classes.
1: It is a standalone book. You don't need to attend classes to get things from it. But I do feel that if you take the class and then go back and read the book again, that is incredibly beneficial.
0: You end up getting more out of it, I'm sure.
1: I mean, there are a lot of pictures in the book. I can just open to a random page and I bet there will be a picture
0: Yep.
1: (laughs) So they're it's kind of like a karate style. You know those old karate books where it's almost Mm -hmm. like a comic book
0: where the
1: pictures are in sequence of what you need to do. That's how I demonstrate the footwork and things like that. So it's laid out for different learning styles. You can read it sort of like a comic book where every picture is going to have a little text box that goes with it. I do put a bullet point summary at the end of every chapter. So these little text boxes, Right. if you go through the book and look at the picture and read those text boxes, you're going to be pretty good. You can always look through the text if there's something you didn't quite get. But then there are other people who really want that textbook style learning. They need to read the material. So that's there too. Plus I have a significant amount of resources in the back showing where all of these facts are coming from.
0: Oh wow. Okay.
1: So you can see where I got my research.
0: Wow, very nice. And I have
1: a list of drills in the back, a drill index, so if you just want the drills, you can go straight to the page with the drills. The drills are laid out where there's a list of supplies you need to complete the drill. Then there's um photo of how to set up the drill and then a dis- description of how to execute the drill and what you're looking for, followed by bullet points to sum it up.
0: Well, that's so pretty whatever thorough. your learning
1: style is, it's there.
0: Now, going along with that, not jumping topics, um, I do know you have a YouTube page. Is there anything um, in on the YouTube channel that would go along with those?
1: Yeah, I do post videos once in a while explaining some things. If usually if I'm getting the same question over and over and over, I'll just make a video. So then I can just say, Hey, go watch the video. (laughs) Now is that the link?
0: Is that how the treadmill video came about?
1: It is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I did start doing my own podcast, the 180 Firearms Training Podcast. That one just started. One day I just thought, you know, I have some things I kind of want to say.
0: And I saw that. That was one of the things I was going to talk to you about since you brought it up. I see you're on your third episode. So what spurred it and what is the subject of it?
1: The subject is practical shooting. So I have two guests Actually, I think it was because I went and shot that match in Aruba and Mike Seifert, he's a PCC shooter for USPSA, was there as well, but it was an IPSC match. And it, I take it for granted because I shoot both that it would be kind of a culture shock for him. So he was asking all these questions and I, I hadn't even thought to explain those things before he started. So I thought we should do a podcast on this. So people understand the difference between the two. And then I thought, well, then we should probably have someone who just shoots IPSC. To sort of be a sounding board and ask questions about rules that we're not sure of because we mostly shoot USPSA. So then we pulled in grant chancellor, Madison. He's a national champion in IPSC in South Africa. So that's our other guest. And Mike is from New Jersey, which is a place we can ask him questions about.
0: Oh, of course.
1: So I think we all balance each other out really well. Mike likes to talk a lot, and Grant and I are both a little more (laughs) reserved. So he kind of fills in the gaps.
0: Okay. And he's also kind
1: of the rebel, where the two of us are a little more respectful. (laughs)
0: Sorry, (laughs) he's He's a little more blunt no problem i like (laughs) blunt blunt is good now is there um is there ever any verbiage differences where you're like uh what did you just say
1: um you mean in the way they're explaining something
0: yeah i mean the guy coming from south africa i know it's mostly english but they still have their dialect
1: well, I went to South Africa to train the national teams there in twenty nineteen, I believe it was, and I've been coaching him online ever since. So, oh wow! Yeah, so I and I've coached a couple of the other guys on their national team as well. So I'm just used to the accent and the little things they say that are different, like um, they call you know those wheat thin crackers. Mm -hmm. They call them wheat squares.
0: Wheat squares, okay.
1: And if you get drunk, it's called slotted. S L O T E D.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have picked up on that one.
1: No, there's wheat wheat squares, maybe,
0: but slotted, no. Wow, yeah, there's definitely some differences.
1: Yes, and they say lacca. It's flipping lacca means that's awesome.
0: Laka is awesome. Well, there you go. Yeah, there's definitely some differences there. Like, uh, we need you to explain in English, English, not South African English. Right. (laughs) And
1: I don't even hear it anymore because now I'm just so used to it that when he says things like that, it doesn't occur to me that other people aren't going to know what that is. But then Mike's just kind of like, what did you say?
0: Yeah. Translation, please. So I'm glad
1: he's on there to catch that stuff and point out, okay, this is what he actually (laughs) means by that.
0: Yeah. So I want to get into your classes, but before we do that, I want to, since you brought it up, I want to touch on Aruba. Because I saw you were just there recently. Um, And you actually posted a couple of videos about some things with that. So first part of the Aruba class that I'd like to touch on is traveling outside of the country with weapons.
1: Yes. So if you're traveling outside of the country with weapons, you need to have a match invitation. And because in the U S we don't have a firearms license, we don't have a universal license. So you have to have a reason to be there with a firearm, which is your match invitation. It has to be officially signed. We have to get an official letter from the president of USPSA saying that we're in good standing and we can go compete in an IPSC match. So it's basically getting permission from the regional director. Then we have to fill out a form 4457 at the airport. It's just a customs form that says, this gun is mine. I'm bringing it in and I'm leaving with it. So it it just says, it it really doesn't say anything. Right. It just now, has that government stamp on it that they want to see and it lists the serial number. And when you go to get one, you actually have to bring your gun with you.
0: So I've heard that people have had problems because we don't have gun licenses here. So depending on what country you go to can be very difficult getting in. So how did you get around that in Aruba?
1: Well... I had all of the paperwork I needed when I arrived at the airport. There were. What typically happens at the airport is they don't know their own rules. Uh, so, OK,
0: well, I'm glad to know it's that's everywhere then.
1: <laughs> so you need to know what the rules are and just be very friendly. Smile a lot. Say thank you. <laughs> be kind. Um, But yeah, I had to tell them what the procedure was. And then they called their supervisor and said, this is what she did. Is that okay? And they said, yep, she's good to go an hour later. So get there probably at least three hours early if you're flying internationally. If the paperwork is in another language, you might want to get there four hours early.
0: Oh, goodness. Okay. What was it like teaching on the island of Aruba?
1: Well, it actually rained, which is funny because it never rains in Aruba, but they just got missed by that hurricane that hit Haiti. Okay. It just barely missed them. And so they were having some unusual weather. So they don't shoot in the rain. And they explained it that it never rains there. So their pores are really open and it they're basically not as waterproof as us oily people with, with closed pores. I don't know. It was... Very different. So they didn't shoot in the rain. So I reorganized my class so that we were dry firing undercover during the time it was raining. And when it lightened up, then we would go out and do live fire. Then the following day, the weather was beautiful. So we were live firing all day and making up for lost time.
0: Now, does that make you want to add another chapter to your book about people with open pores versus closed pores?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just what the local people were trying to explain to me. Some of it might have been lost in translation because English is not their first language. They speak Dutch and they speak the Arubian language. And a lot of them speak Spanish. So when we would have confusion in language, then we would default to Spanish (laughs)
0: Wow, just a hodgepodge of languages. Yeah. Okay. Um, how was it competing in an Ipsic match on Aruba?
1: The match was really cool. They had some stages I really enjoyed. They had a swinging bridge. Well, at, at the time that I shot it, I didn't enjoy it very much, but I'll get <laughs> into that. <laughs> But I thought the stages were very cool. They had this suspended bridge to shoot from where you couldn't touch the railing and you just had to support yourself with your legs and shoot the targets and move across the bridge without touching anything.
0: Was it an unstable platform? Yes. Okay.
1: There was another one where we ran up a teeter-totter and then down the other side. So that one... I thought was really fun because i got up to the top to the pivot point and as i was pivoting down took a target on the move so that was really really fun
0: i feel like you have an unfair advantage on that stage
1: (laughs) that was a fun stage so they had some really different interesting things that it was fun to participate in now the thing that made it tough for me on that suspended bridge is that i got hit with a ricochet in the ankle And it actually snapped a tendon behind my ankle, so it split open vertically. I didn't know that at the time, and I finished the match kind of hopping on one foot.
0: (laughs) Now, was it a ricochet from you or from someone on a different?
1: From from someone on a different bay.
0: Wow. Hmm.
1: So I actually got very lucky. If it had split horizontally, that would have been a surgery. So instead, I just get to wear this on boot and go to physical therapy.
0: Yeah. I've had ankle reconstructive surgery. I know what that boots all about.
1: It's a medieval torture device.
0: Yeah. They actually took my tendon and split it vertically and then cut half of the bottom. So they had a long piece. I can't figure out. There we go. And (laughs) that way, actually, let me change the orientation here. There we go. That way they used my um, tendon to replace the ligaments that were torn in my ankle. Yeah. They they drilled holes in the bones and wrapped it through and back to itself. So I, I'm all, I know all about those tendons and ligaments in the ankles. So good thing it wasn't that serious. So
1: yeah, I was reading up on the harvesting procedures and thought, oh, I hope I don't have to do that. <laughs> That's
0: mm, going to be rough. So I got yeah.
1: really, really lucky.
0: Now, was that the was that the end of your trip or did you have no, more I was teeth still today? there
1: a couple of days? So their hospital was full with COVID patients. They weren't able to see me. So I just um, went and bought a pair of crutches, but that place didn't open <laughs> right away. I had to go after I had been injured and hopping around on one foot for a day. Then I was able to go back when they were open and get the crutches. That helped a lot. my, 14-year-old daughter was basically carrying me around.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> did she go to Aruba with you or was that just she when did, you got back? yeah. Oh, she had to have loved that.
1: Yeah, she worked really hard. She was working the match, pasting and resetting targets. In IPSC, they don't want you touching your target, so they get volunteers to come in and do all the pasting and resetting. So she, the kids there didn't hadn't ever done it before. And they didn't realize um, you got to be quick about it to keep the match flow up. Mm. So she showed them how to run out there quickly and then run back and do it really efficiently. And then that really helped with the pace of the entire match because then all of the kids caught on to what she was doing and they started doing it too.
0: So what I'm hearing is she had her own movement class she gave.
1: Yeah pretty much. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Following in her mom's footsteps. Very. <laughs> um so before I get away from Aruba there was one thing you mentioned that I wanted to ask about. You said you had to have a letter from the USPSA president showing you're in good standing. Yes. I take it that was before everything that happened in USPSA with the president, um, would you, would you have foreseen everything that happened? Do you think that would have caused a delay in getting a letter from the organization? I don't think so. No. Okay. I think
1: Sherwin would have sent it out or actually, um, I think he has someone else on the staff handle that. It's just a form letter.
0: Okay. So, okay So where you said you've been in the Philippines I've seen on your website you've got different places you know for classes listed um, but where else have you been to shoot and teach
1: um, New Zealand Australia Estonia um. <laughs> and Estonia Canada. is nowhere near
0: uh, <laughs> the other two
1: obviously Aruba. Um, I don't know. There are other places too. It's been a lot.
0: What, 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 any places, what places in Europe, any?
1: Well, I'm actually going on my European tour in 2022. It got canceled due to COVID.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: So that's still kind of in the works. So yes, I did go to, well, I went to Hungary and Slovakia, um, Yeah, I've I've been a few places in Europe, more Eastern Europe.
0: Same rules apply with traveling with guns there, as, as you mentioned earlier?
1: Yeah, it's pretty much the same. But if I'm just going to teach a class and not to shoot a competition, then a lot of times I'll just borrow a gun. It's a lot easier that way.
0: I imagine. Uh, there was something else I was going to ask about that, but we'll move along for now. All right, so I want to I want to touch on this um, IDPA movement stuff. You said you have classes specifically for IDPA movement. What do you have that is different for IDPA than USPSA?
1: Okay, well, one of the things is a lot of times in IDPA you have to shoot from a lean and then move out of that position in the opposite direction. So what I call the drop step, or I guess everyone calls it the drop step, is something you use a lot more in IDPA than you would in USPSA because you have this strong weight bias and then have to move the other direction. <laughs> <I
0: know. laughs> That's hysterical.
1: <laughs> so in USPSA, most of the time it's not worth doing the drop step because you're adding a step in the wrong direction to launch yourself in the direction you actually want to be moving so it takes a little bit longer it's much more effective to just use the mass of your gun to pull you out of the position if it's not a really significant lean or you can just choose to end there but in idpa you don't have as many options so there the drop step is something you're going to use a lot more And in my USPSA class, I don't typically, sorry, are you hearing that?
0: I am. I didn't know if that was you or me.
1: We keep getting notifications. Stop talking to me on Facebook, guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And for everybody who's not watching this, her dog literally crawled across the back of the couch to get closer to her. So that's (laughs) what we were laughing about. Yeah, there's um there's a lot more leans in um, IDPA because you've got to shoot around a barricade, so right. that that makes a lot of sense. Um, which gets me into um, I, I've also I because I shoot IDPA on occasion because I, I think any shooting is good shooting. Um, there are some different rules you have to be aware of, but it's still. Good shooting. Um, But I wanted one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was because you said you've worked with geriatric and and older people and IDPA when I've shot, the ages are typically a little bit older. Not old, but, you know, that if you went with an average age. Yeah. Um, Fast twitch versus slow twitch muscles. And how do do you ever get into that and how to um, utilize those or maintain or gain or any of that?
1: There are some people who just naturally move more explosively and other people who just kind of seem to float along through a stage. If you look at Max Michel, for example, when he's shooting, he's not as explosive as someone like... um, Let's see. Shane Coley. If you compare the two shooters, you see Shane Coley really exploding out of position where Max seems to just sort of float along through the stage without ever stopping. So that's what it looks like typically with the fast twitch versus slow twitch muscles, just different techniques. One, you never really stop. And the other, it's more stopping and starting depending on the situation, but it's more explosive getting out of the positions.
0: So with the with the drop step, are, are you? How do I want to I don't even know how I want to word this. Um, it, it's pretty much all about loading that leg so you can explosively move the other way, correct?
1: It's about using your ankle basically as a springboard to launch you in the opposite direction.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so, it shifts your weight into the opposite direction.
0: Okay. Do you ever get into loading your legs so you're moving quicker and more explosively?
1: Not really. I think that takes a lot of thought because it's different on every single stage. You can, what I would recommend is, working that in, in the walkthrough and not really consciously thinking about what you're doing, just, you know, practice what you're going to do and find what works for you. Cause if you're consciously thinking while you're, while you're shooting, I need to load my weight up this way. You're not going to be shooting well.
0: Right. Uh, And I, I asked that because, um, I took a Steve Anderson class once and when we were doing the turn and draw, um, I was trying to get. I played football, I played um, cornerback, some linebacker, I played some uh, running back. Uh, and as a cornerback, the things I always tried to do was I emulated some of the guys from the 70s, and you notice they would be crouched where they're loading their leg muscles, so they're it, it's almost like a cocked spring, you know what I mean. So when that receiver came off the line, wherever he went, I was already prepared to explode in that direction, or I can quickly make a change of direction, whatever I needed to do. So when I was doing the turn and draw, I was crouching down, trying to load my legs so that it was like a cocked spring. So as soon as I heard the beep, I could rapidly turn and step forward, draw and begin shooting. That's where I, I was asking um, what your thoughts that are. The
1: is you're probably going to overswing. Okay. So you're going to over rotate the turn and draw. It needs to be precise and led by your eyes, not so much necessarily driven by forcing it with muscle power.
0: So it's not a lower body thing. It's an upper body thing.
1: Yes. You snap your eyes to the target and your body will naturally unwind.
0: Oh, now I know I've been doing it wrong. There we go. (laughs) So it only took 30 seconds on YouTube. I will be checking that out then.
1: My technique is a little bit different than Steve's. Okay. Whatever one works for you, go for it.
0: Well, I had no technique. So that was perfect for me when he showed me, you know, so I had a technique. So but everything can be refined.
1: Yeah. And if you're a defensive shooter, you don't want to be using that technique. (laughs) Just turn around.
0: Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. In that case, I was just trying to prepare for that beep. So, um, you, you even have down there, coach Keita Bussey on the screen, Yes. Matt Nash and I, uh, on the podcast. And even when we talked off of the podcast, we've talked about coaching in USPSA and he really thinks that's probably the wave of the future, which I I agree. Um, I'm surprised there isn't more of it. I totally agree with what you have on your website about, you know, even Tiger Woods has a coach. Yes. Um, So I know your thoughts on coaching in USPSA, but how do you think it becomes more accepted and you see it more often in USPC. What do you think that will take?
1: Well, our sport really is in its infancy compared to other sports where they do have coaches and some of the best coaches in history have never even even played the sport that they're coaching. So that's something with our sport being in its infancy that a lot of people don't realize or don't consider. So I think if our sport becomes more mainstream, which I'm not sure if it ever will or not, but as more people are doing it, then it's going to become more competitive. And as it becomes more competitive, people are going to be seeking out an actual coach.
0: Do you think it will, do you think the fact that it's so difficult for shooters to make a professional shooters to to become professional shooters and make a living competing. Do you think that holds back the whole coaching issue?
1: I think that's one thing. I mean, if, if you're shooting, you're broke, Yeah, <laughs> Either you're broke or you have so much money. You don't know what to do with it.
0: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a very expensive game.
1: I'm sponsored by the ramen noodle diet. <laughs> Where do I put that on my jersey? (laughs) The thing is, if you have a coach, you're actually going to end up saving money, which people also don't recognize. The number of rounds you're sending downrange or repeating something incorrect over and over in dry fire and then doing it in a match, the time it takes you to actually figure out that you were doing something that wasn't working and then correct it. You could have skipped all that. Typically if you seek out a class or coaching, it's going to take a year or two years off of your shooting, off of your practice.
0: I agree. Um, and that goes with whether it's just pistol shooting skills or, or a movement class or whatever it all, um, speeds up that process of of getting to where you want to be whatever that is right so i totally agree with that i think sometimes it's hard for people to recognize that it actually saves money because you're not having to shoot as much ammo or you know spend so much of your time repeating the same drills over and over at a very slow rate of success
1: Or they just dump all their money into a nice open gun and hope that's going to fix it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Gun and uh, equipment and think that's going to, or, you know, lights on their gun. Right. (laughs) So, So is that something you would get into coaching actual USPSA shooters? I do. I mean, I know you do some. You do some IPSC stuff, but I guess what I'm getting at is do you see coaches actually going to matches?
1: I have seen it before. Um, I know that Max, Michelle, here he comes again. (laughs) I know he has in the past taught a class and then shot the match with the students. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've seen that. Um, What I'm doing is online coaching So I do video reviews where they can send me four of their videos if they're a former student or three if they're not, because it takes longer to explain. I slow down the videos, voice them over, draw lines on them, send them back with drills to correct whatever the issues were that I found. And then we usually will do an online coaching session after they've had a little bit of time to apply what they got from those drills and make sure they're on track, see if they need anything new to get to the next level.
0: I I know that J.J. Rokaz's dad was at Area 8 with him. And um, there was a lot of discussion between the two of them about stages, Mm -hmm. things that needed to be done, you know, his dad giving him um, words of advice and other stuff. Uh, So it almost sounded like, and I say that because uh, one of the other hosts, Huggy, was there on the same squad. So he witnessed all of this and was telling me about it, um, which I found very interesting. So basically it sounds like his dad is his coach and Mm -hmm. travels with him to these matches. And that's where ultimately I wonder if we're going to get to where some of these guys are getting close to – the top of the mountain so do they bring a, a coach with them that can kind of help them keep focused uh and and help with some of the i don't i don't know exactly how i want to say it but just assist them at these larger matches to maintain their focus to be able to reach the pinnacle
1: now i have done that coaching people through their national championships or the world shoot or whatever it may be. Usually I'll be on the phone with them as they're walking stages. If they get stuck on something or if they're having some sort of a mental block, I'll usually get a call and walk them through it and how to think their way out of it and get to what's next. Focus through, focus on what they need to be focusing on and letting go of what they need to not be worrying about right now.
0: Okay, that's I personally I would it would I find it intriguing that at some point the sport gets to where you know there is a coach there on site with some of these shooters or even you know like I'm just going to throw out Team Glock since you brought up Shane Coley you know maybe there's an actual coach that is at nationals with Team Glock. Right. because
1: Team Glock did have a speed coach at one time. I guess he just ran a timer while they were walking through the stages uh, and then told them how fast they should be shooting the stage in or something on that order. But I know at one time they did have some sort of a coach there. That was a few years ago.
0: Is the, uh, the military competes in high power rifle matches Mm -hmm. and they all shoot team matches. Mm -hmm. So you have coaches, but those coaches, because I was on a team like that at one time in the Marine Corps, um, those coaches also still help out during practice throughout the week before the competition. So, you know, they can provide feedback and they may not have been like you're saying, Um, the Tiger Woods of shooting or the Max Michelle of shooting or the JJ Ricasa, but they can still see things and pick things up that you, the shooter don't see and go, Oh, okay, good point. You know, let me kind of work on that. So I, I, I look forward to the day when USPSA is more, I don't want to say a leg- legitimate sport. <laughs> yeah. But I don't want to say it that way. You <laughs> right, know? Right. It's not like it's illegitimate. It just hasn't reached that professional level. I don't think. Right. And
1: don't That's what I mean it. when I say it's in its infancy, it's yeah, definitely yeah. A legitimate sport and it is becoming more athletic now.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and it just shows with Christian Seiler, you look at him, he played high level baseball and he was able to translate that, Hand-eye coordination and movement into USPSA shooting, and rapidly rose to the top. Yes, and, and we've he's interviewed. Also
1: very good at math.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, which is why he's getting what an accounting degree or something like that. <laughs> but you know, we've also talked to um, Grant Kunkel, who's been shooting since he was young. Gia uh, Gianni Giordano the Williams sisters, Mm -hmm. all that have been shooting since they were young and are amazing shooters. But that doesn't mean that they couldn't benefit from a coach and that mental assistance to get there.
1: When you you get to that top level, you're just looking for a 10th of a second here and there. And that's where a coach can come in. That's where you start to get desperate to find something that you can do because you've exhausted all of your own ideas.
0: Yeah. I mean, and Justine Williams, her goal is to be, to be number one overall at, at a national or world champion shoot. She wants to beat everybody. She can so do I it. Could, Yeah. She, she's amazing, but I could see where, again, that's where a coach could really, she could benefit from that at that super high level. It's hard to do that on your own It is in the moment. You know, you really need to be focused on what you need to do. So having a second brain there to help you, like you said, noodle your way through it basically is a huge help.
1: Yes. Especially a lot of us shooters are sort of type A personalities and we like to overthink things. So if you're at a match the day before walking through stages, you're stuck on one for a long time, thinking about it in 10 different ways and then going back and forth. If you had a coach there that said, just keep it simple or whatever they need to hear in that moment, that's really helpful to calm their minds down so they can get sleep the night before.
0: Right. I, I, I could even see it. You have a um, a bad stage. Just okay. having a coach there, someone to keep you focused, get you to put it past you and, and start looking towards that next stage is also Mm -hmm. a big deal.
1: Yeah. One of my students at nationals in South Africa, hit a couple of no shoots on a stage and started crying. It was actually a little girl. (laughs) Oh no. So she was one of my students. So I pulled her aside and said, okay, get it out, go to the bathroom, take a minute, Come out and we're gonna go for a little walk. I walked her over to her next stage and I said, Tell me your plan. You know, gave her a big hug first. Right. And <laughs> said, Tell me your plan. So then she started thinking about her plan. And as she was talking, the crying started to go away. And I encouraged her and told her, you know, just focus on what you're doing next whatever happened before, just let it go and keep focusing on what's next. What's, what do you have to do now? Now you need to focus on your next stage. And she burned that stage to the ground. She did
0: awesome. And there you go. There's a prime example of how a coach helps. So absolutely. Now what, when you go to aruba the philippines estonia new zealand australia all these other places um do you just have like do you have different levels of classes do you have different types of classes what are your classes
1: i have an intro to movement class and we do cover some fundamentals in that class and that one is more like um basic fundamentals and then getting moving safely with a gun. Okay. So hopefully they've had some safety classes and things before that. I'll usually have some other instructors with me at these classes to help keep an eye on things, making sure everybody's safe. I like one-to-one typically, or maybe two-to-one just to make sure everyone's handling their firearms safely then we get them moving from point A to point B in a safe way and get them more confident and comfortable moving around. And if they've never shot a competition before, then we actually set up a stage and have them take their time and move through it comfortably and safely until it starts becoming subconscious. And then it's not intimidating to think about going to shoot a match because they shot a stage before And they did well. And then at the end, we do add a time limit to put on a little pressure and see if they can still maintain that with a little bit of time pressure. Then we have the the smart move class, which is the basic footwork um, and movement. We also do vision training and resistance training. Then comes the train smart class, The train smart class is the application of the footwork from the movement class. So you need to take the smart move class first so that you can apply the footwork in the train smart class, or you're going to be a little lost. So So
0: what is this vision
1: training? Oh, it's based on research by Joan Vickers. She's a kinesiologist. Actually, she just passed away. Um, So she she deemed it co- called the quiet eye. It just means that your eye is still and not moving. So it's more quiet than eyes that are jumping all around. So she's okay. written several books and I've read it, I've read all of them, <laughs> devoured them. So I actually did some online training with uh, another company called Right Eye, where they evaluate eye movements and learn how to correct. You learn how to correct them and how to train the eyeballs to do what you need them to do. So there are some eye drills that you can do to pick up your spot on the target more efficiently.
0: Uh, that, now, this is probably the most intriguing thing I've heard of. I, I've not heard anybody really go into depth with this type of thing. Have you, What type of improvement do you see with people when you when you train them on that.
1: So this is where we sort of dial back in the accuracy. When you're learning all this footwork, you're concentrating on what your feet are doing and not so much on accuracy so that shot patterns start spreading out a little bit more as they're learning something new. So this is where we kind of dial it back in and get accuracy. So this is a drill with five targets. It's a stand and shoot and On average, they start at about six seconds and end at about two seconds with all alphas. Okay. So they start at about six seconds with maybe a couple of Charlies in there. And they end at around two seconds with all alphas. I actually watch their eyeballs while they're shooting and coach them through what their eyes are doing and what they should be doing.
0: Okay, so how do you how, how are you? I feel like you're all up in somebody's <clears throat> personal space. Like I stand right
1: really. here. Yes.
0: <laughs> oh Lord. It's
1: super What's awkward. Really? I really wish I could afford these eye tracking glasses, but they're seventeen thousand dollars.
0: That's all so
1: I'm taking the the affordable route and watching their eyeballs and being obnoxious standing there right in their peripheral vision. <laughs>
0: Now, have you have you considered using, I mean, with the way cell phone technology is with the cameras on there, have you, is it's that a possibility? Inaccurate. No. Okay. It's
1: not accurate enough. It needs to be tracking their eye movements, superimposed on a video of what they're looking at. And I could see that technology getting there, but it's not there yet. Okay. You can do vision training drills on your cell phone where you watch a little dot bounce around or whatever it may be. So what we're training is smooth visual pursuits and saccades. Those are the two main types of eye movements that we use in shooting.
0: And what were they again?
1: Smooth visual pursuits, like for a moving target
0: mm-hmm.
1: or saccades where you're jumping from one target to another with your eyeballs.
0: Okay. So one being a moving more the other being more of like a transition from one stationary target to the next. Right. Okay. And we
1: also use saccades to catch up to the speed of a moving target.
0: Okay. I could see that. That makes sense.
1: It also takes about a 10th of a second. Once you decide you're going to move your eyes for them to actually move, which is really interesting in some of the drills I'm working on right now.
0: When still, you say work, still researching some of the, this. okay. That's what I was trying to get at. So, you're, you're working on some new drills, yes. but you're figuring it all out.
1: Yes. Okay. I have evidence, but I want more evidence. I want it to be indisputable. Okay. It's something and very unusual.
0: Do um, epileptic patients need to sign a waiver for this? <laughs> I feel like watching when you said watching a dot on your phone bounce around, I'm like, uh, I don't know that I would recommend that for epileptics, but okay.
1: Use your own discretion.
0: Absolutely. So is there anything else new? So you're working on new drills based on some eye stuff. You've got a new book you're working on. You have a new workbook that hasn't quite hit your, um, webpage yet, but it's coming. What else is new out there?
1: I would like to start doing some more online training where it can be a classroom style, sort of like the virtual learning the kids were doing when they were stuck at home during COVID. I'd like to be able to do something like that. I do have a PowerPoint presentation that accompanies the train smart class. And it would be really cool if we could do that as a group off the range rather than being out there in whatever weather it may be and trying to bring my computer with me. So that would be really cool to get that going. I've looked at a couple of platforms and haven't found anything I was particularly fond of.
0: Okay. Do you know who Ron Francisco is? I do not. Uh, okay. Ron's a uh, high level GM. Um, he just switched from open to uh, carry optics. optics.
1: I saw yeah. that post. I okay. just
0: didn't
1: remember the name.
0: Okay. And I was trying to find something. I don't know if I'm going to be. Let me think. What was it? Here we go. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm probably not going to be able to find it. <laughs> um, oh, wait, here we go. All right. So I, I'm going to share my screen for a minute. Okay. And you're going to explain to me why Ron Francisco makes me look so bad.
1: <laughs> well, All right. I need a comparison.
0: <laughs> you're going to see it.
1: Okay. Bill,
0: Bill Duda Both from Go Fast. Yep. Bill Duda from Go Fast, Don't Say, like... <laughs> has has us ghosted on the same stage, okay?
1: Oh, my goodness. So
0: I'm going to look like a chump here oh, in just Bill. a minute, thanks thanks to uh Ron Oh, he's Francisco. making some
1: t-shirts for me. You asked what's new. I got some t-shirts coming.
0: Oh, Bill? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. So let me hit share. Share screen. There we go. Oh, that was me making the sound effect. That actually wasn't like, the... <laughs> Where is it? Okay. So right. I'm the one in the bright yellow shirt that says riddle. Okay. I'm the one who's going to all of a sudden look like a geriatric here in just a second. Here we go. All right, Ron, don't make me look too bad. Oh, uh, look at that. It's ridiculous. That's embarrassing. he's going to disappear in a second and he's done and he's gone.
1: Well, and I'm the, still shooting two of the big movement related issues are he's down. He's got his center of gravity down much lower than you do. And another one is he's taking much smaller, faster steps. You're taking bigger steps. So when you're trying to speed up, slow down, move around obstacles, You want to be taking tiny fast steps, sort of like um, the wheels on a race car are much wider than on a regular car because they have more surface area.
0: I think my wheels fell off. (laughs) According to that video, my wheels fell off.
1: (laughs) Well, we want to spend less time speeding up and slowing down and more time at our maximum speed. So in order to do that, you need more frequent contact with the ground. So you're pushing off on the ground and the ground is pushing off on you. It also gives you a lot more control and keeps your feet more under your center of gravity. So it's much more stable.
0: Okay. So I can be more like Ron.
1: Tiny fast (laughs) steps to speed up, slow down and move around obstacles. You're at a full stride. So then it also delays your shooting because if you're trying to catch all of your weight, on that one big step versus catching it through multiple small steps, it's going to be lurching your sights.
0: I'm going to have to get your book because uh, I'm going to have to break lifelong habits. You know what I mean? It's hard. Yeah. Cause I'm used to tricks. (laughs) Yeah. I'm used to more sprinting and that, Mm -hmm. you know, like football playing and that type of stuff. Not, not little steps that are quick. So
1: well you have okay. to have both. You have to be able to right. reach your full stride quickly so you can be at that maximum speed for as long as possible. We have these awkward distances in our sport where you can't really reach a flat out run on most stages, but you can get close.
0: Right. It's rare that you can reach full speed. Right. There was a there was one stage this year where you could because it was probably a good 20 yard run. So you could, you know, rapidly accelerate, and that—that that is where my loading, where when I come in and I know I've got a long sprint, that's where I know I come in, and I'll—I'll I'll take that big step in, and I'll be crouched where I've loaded my one leg with weight, so it's ready to push immediately. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody of, got a lot to change that, of that
1: loading you're talking about. It's just that at some point it just becomes subconscious. So you're not trying to think about it as you're shooting the stage. That's what I don't want to see is people thinking about their movement while they should be just shooting subconsciously.
0: Right. Well, Keita, that's all I had for questions. Um, Is there anything you want to add something we didn't touch on or we need to clarify? I don't
1: think so. Um, if you want to give me a follow on Instagram, it I have two Instagrams. One is 180 Firearms Training. Obviously, that's the business one. And Bussy is my personal Instagram. You can also give me a follow on Facebook, 180 Firearms Training. And on YouTube, it's Bussy. Check out the new podcast.
0: There you go. Yeah, I see you have three episodes. I'm going to have to check it out.
1: Yep, yeah, we're drop, dropping another one on Sunday.
0: Okay. Is that when you drop the new ones every Sunday?
1: Yeah, I, I was a day late on this other one. Had some personal stuff going on. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> With my little rebellious 14-year-old daughter.
0: Good for her. Well, thank you for coming on the, pod- the podcast. I appreciate your time and all the information. And are you going to be at Nationals?
1: No, I'm still gimping around quite a bit (laughs) okay
0: (laughs) all right i know you were there last year i didn't know if you'd be there this year so
1: no not this year
0: okay well good luck with your ankle and again thanks for coming on we appreciate it
1: yeah thanks so much for having me
0: you're welcome have a great day you too until next time don't be a little bitch yeah